Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with former Angels hurler Jim Abbott. And the ground ball is short for Marty. He did it. He did it. No hitter for Jim Abbott. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to Boone Podcast, and uh, joining us today is one of the most inspirational big leaguers to ever play. Played 11 years in the major leagues, uh, Jim Abbott. Abby, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, thanks, Booney. It's uh, it's a real honor to be on your show, and I'm in, I'm in good company, man. You've had a lot of great guests on here, so uh, I thank you for having me. You got it. It's our pleasure, and uh, let's let's get right into it. Let's start with your childhood. Was it always baseball? Uh, what other sports did you play as a kid? You know, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Michigan. And, uh, you know, there you're just kind of forced to play a little bit of everything because of the season. Um, I grew up in a fairly tough town. A lot of people would know about Flint, Michigan, uh, which is not known as a baseball town by any means. Uh, more football, more basketball. Uh, so I played a little bit of everything. I played uh, – I loved football. Uh, I played a lot of basketball growing up, a lot of pickup basketball, um, tried out for and did not make the ninth grade basketball team. <laughs> so I kind of went over to baseball and that became my first love. And, um, you know, it worked out, but it's, uh, it was a great place to grow up and uh, a lot of great athletes in my hometown. All right. So Jim Abbott, you were born with one hand. You know, as uh, people out in the Boone podcast are well aware of, well documented. As a kid, what was that like for you? You know, just in in your in your childhood, when you went to a little league tryout, what was the reaction from parents, coaches, and even even other kids, your peers? You know, honestly, Booney, it, it was. Um... It, it's an interesting, it, it was an interesting experience because I was surrounded by a lot of great people. I, I had so much support. I had so much encouragement. Um, and, and, you know, I had my doubts, you know, I had my insecurities as a kid. I definitely always felt a little bit uh, on the outside looking in, sort of wanting to prove myself. Uh, I desperately, you know, really wanted to be on those teams. Um, you know, it made me feel like I was a part of something. And, and so I, but I felt all those things internally, you know, externally, uh, coaches, parents, teachers, friends, teammates. I, I never walked into, you know, even at that young, early age, I never walked into a, a tryout, uh, you know, a camp, a, a locker room, you know, where I didn't feel 100% uh, not only supported, but, but welcomed and, and embraced and, you know, that made a huge difference in my life. I know that, um, you know, as, as you know, I've met a lot of kids, you know, around the country and, and even really around the world. And, and I know that not everybody in my situation, you know, has provided that kind of encouragement. So I was very lucky growing up. And I, you know, I think about it all the time. How did you learn to play this game? And Abby, and and you know we we play golf together and and we have a big group here in Southern California that gets together and plays golf on occasion. 
Um, <laughs> but just I, I'm looking at some old videos and I'm like, as great of a pitcher as you were, it's like, how did you come up with the whole <laughs> technique? It's like, okay, you got the glove on your right hand, you throw the pitch, you flip it to your left hand, you field, you flip it back, and you throw and you make it like it's no big deal. And, and still, I, I know your buddies do, I do. We watch it, and we're at amazement. It's an awesome thing to watch. But how did you come up with that? I, I was thinking about it last night before, I, you know, I was, I was kind of planning on this interview, and I'm thinking, Man, if you put a glove on my other hand and said, Booney, go play second base, I'm going to go, you, you're crazy. You know, I, I could <laughs> never do that. But just tell me how that all came together. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was a part of your youth, but, but I'm really interested to hear that. Well, yeah, you know, it was, um, well, like I said, I, you know, I really, I loved baseball and, um, my dad really wasn't much of a baseball player, unlike yours. Uh, that wasn't, you know, I didn't grow up with, um, you know, he was more of a football player. But anyway, I, you know, I wanted a glove and he went and brought me a, a baseball glove uh, from the local drugstore as a really cheap, you know, starter glove. And, and we just went out in the front yard and, and um, you know, I remember playing a little catch and it being very awkward and it didn't, um, you know, honestly, Brett, it didn't come easy. It, 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 it took, it, I don't want to say it didn't come easy, but it, it took some time, you know, because there were a lot of different iterations of trying to switch the glove, toss the ball in the air, you know, drop it on the ground and, and, um, and, and just, you know, just manage it. And honestly, through Little League, you know, I got a little bit better at it, a little bit quicker, and then, you know, through middle school. And then in high school, even, it was still – a bit cumbersome. It was a lot of it was trial and error. You know, I had this really big Mizuno outfielders mitt <laughs> in high school. And I, for some reason had that glove that I used to pitch with. And, and looking back on it, it was the wrong mitt to have because it was hard to flip around and everything. So I was still a little bit slow and, and, and it really wasn't until I got to college, you know, where I kind of got the right mitt and I started working on it and I knew my defense would be important you know, where I really got it to be, you know, second nature, like tying my shoes. I didn't even think about it. And I've tried to describe it a million times. I can't really come up with the words. <laughs> it's kind of this twisting motion where I would throw the kind of glove at my body and let the glove ball fall out. And, and um, you know, somehow it just worked. I took a lot of pride in my defense. And uh, you know how it is at the big league level. If, if they see a weakness, they're going to try to take advantage of it. So, you know, I tried never let my defense be a weakness. So we, so we fast forward a little bit to college. You went to the University of Michigan. And uh, mm -hmm. I want to talk about that 88 USA team. Uh, you had a couple – a teammate of mine was, was on that team for a while, Jim Campanis. I was at USC. Uh, buddy of mine, Eddie Sprague, was on that team. Mm -hmm. And I was a freshman in college. So you guys were kind of the elder state, statesmen of college baseball. So that was a real time for me where I really looked to you guys. And, uh, you know, you're coming off, you win the Golden Spikes. You end up being a first-round pick. But, but that USA team, there was something different about that. You end up winning the gold medal. Just tell me a little bit about that, that summer that you guys uh, won the 88 gold. Yeah, you know, there was something different about it. But did you ever play USA Baseball at all later on? I did. I that? did. I played yeah. I played the year after you. So I played on the okay. 89 team. 
and I think oh, I'm trying to think Pan Am games. Maybe we got a chance to go to Cuba and it was an interesting mm-hmm. uh, experience, but it was nothing like the year before because of the Olympic year. And I think the difference for us was you guys, it was an Olympic year. So all the, the, you know, the top draft picks and the juniors, you all played. And, and the following year, because it wasn't an Olympic year, all our top guys, our juniors, they, they signed. So it was basically a bunch of sophomores and freshmen. And to be honest, right. we went over to, to Cuba and just got boat raced. <laughs> I mean, it was like men playing with kids over there. But anyway, I, I'd love to hear your experience. I had, I had a little touch of it. Yeah, it was, you know, it, it, it's really cool. Um, I think looking back on it, it was the best team that I ever played for. And I'm, I mean that in terms of, you know, cohesiveness and buy-in um, and just singular purpose. You know, a team, um, and it was a little bit like your experience because the previous year in the Pan Am game, USA Baseball um, made it a point to have a bunch of sophomores and freshmen play because they knew they wanted the guys to come back the following year as juniors and, and even a couple seniors to be, you know, to be older and to be able to play in the Olympics. And, um, you know, so we have a couple of us, a few of us played like Eddie Sprague um, played for two summers together. And, and so that team was really close. I mean, we got to be really good friends and his, Everyone, as you, you would probably remember, is everyone thinks the USA baseball is super glamorous and super, you know, Olympics, and uh, but it's not. It's you know, you're traveling around on school buses and you're playing in minor league ballparks and carrying all your own equipment all summer long and and uh, eating in a lot of community potlucks. But on the field, man, we, you know, that team loved each other. We had Tino Martinez and and Robin Ventura and Ben McDonald and Charlie Nagy and, you know, Mike Fury. I don't want to leave anybody out. You know, those are the guys I think people would remember. But, you know, guys from the West Coast, Tommy Goodwin. And, um, you know, it was it was just a team that by the time we got to the Olympics in September, uh, right at, you know, at the end of baseball season in September, um, you know, we were so close. And to win a gold medal and to go out there and do that and be on the mound, you know, for that ninth inning and that final out, you know, celebrating with those guys, you know, I would put it, you know, with anything that ever happened to me, you know, athletically, it was just so great and, and so shared. And, and um, you know, if I see those guys any place, any time, they just feel like brothers. Yeah, and I and I man, I can remember that clear as day. And it kind of, you know, in a weird way, it kind of put college baseball in not that it not that it wasn't prolific in, in the United States, but I, I think it kind of really put college baseball on the map. That was a big deal that summer. I remember that was a big deal. Um so you end up you're a first round pick. And uh mm-hmm. you know, you become a part of a, a pretty unique company and, and the names that come to mind right now are Johnny Olerud, who was a, who was a teammate of mine, Pete Incavilia, Dave Winfield, uh, Bob Horner, guys that, that signed and went straight to the big leagues. And I believe that's what happened to you. Is it, am I mistaken on that? I think you, you went straight to the big leagues. I did. I did. I went straight to the big leagues, but um, there was a caveat to that because, 
because of the Olympics, we're so late in the year, and I ended up throwing a few innings, you know, between college and, and the Olympics. They they Angels just said, take, you know, we don't want you to play winter ball or anything. You you know, you just come to meet us in spring training in, in um, Mesa, Arizona, and uh, you come to big league camp. And so I did have that preparation of going to spring training before, and I uh, had a good camp, started, you know, my cutter was decent <laughs> and I had success against wood bats and, and there was an opening in the Angels rotation. And uh, man, I'll never forget it. You know, Marcel Latchman uh, was our pitching coach uh, at the Gene Autry Hotel in Palm Springs, you know, and, and he said, pulled me to the side and said, you know, you're not going to Midland, Texas. You're coming back to Anaheim with us. And, and um you know, I was just elated. I couldn't believe it, to, you know, to start off in the big leagues. And I definitely went through some growing pains that first year. It was trial by fire. But, um, God, you know, there's nothing like the big leagues. There's nothing like sitting in a major league dugout and, um, you know, looking out at a big league field. Yeah, and, I, and I think back, you know, of course, uh, if you if you asked me uh, when I was 21 years old, Brett, where should you go? Of course I should go to the big leagues, but looking back, you know, <laughs> Peninsula, Virginia was kind of the speed I needed to get to prepare me for what was coming. And I remember when uh, Johnny Olerud, I used to tease him all the time and every, Oh, Johnny, Johnny doesn't know what it's like to ride buses, this and that. And yeah. at the end of his career, <laughs> he went to the, he went to triple a, I believe it was with the Red Sox. It was either that or the Yankees. And I remember calling Johnny and I said, Johnny, I have to make this phone call. Welcome to the minor leagues. I said, you just did it in complete reverse, reverse the way the rest of us did. He he didn't play a minor league season until the year he retired. But but I always find that fascinating, guys, that go straight for because it's such a big jump. I guess maybe being a pitcher, a little less of a jump, but still, nevertheless, uh, pretty, pretty cool stuff. All right, oh, so it's, you it's, uh, it's a huge jump for sure. Yeah. So you go to the Angels, and uh, you're with the Angels from '89 to '92. In '91, you have you have your best season. You go 18 and 11 with a two eight, and then you get traded to New York Yankees, and, and I believe it was for J.T. Snow. You were the two big big names in that trade. You go to you go from Southern Cal and the, and the Angels to uh, the Bronx. How was that? It was, it was strange, you know, it, back then, um, news didn't travel quite as quickly. I was on a vacation with my wife in Hawaii and, and I had been in a little bit of a contract negotiation with the angels. They had hired Whitey Herzog, you know, old school baseball guy, well-respected in the game. Um, he offered us a, a contract as a young player and, and I, you know, we were, I thought we were just kind of negotiating it and uh nobody nobody really said yes or no i just kind of was sitting there and uh went to hawaii came back and my mother-in-law picked us up at the airport crying (laughs) and we've been traded uh to the to the yankees and so it was an abrupt change i'll be honest um you know the yankees at that point were kind of just starting to put things back together a little bit uh steinbrenner was just coming back into the fold and um, that winter, they they got Paul O'Neill. Um, they traded for Jimmy Key. Uh, you know, they got a couple more players, and 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 so really headed into an unbelievably different environment in New York City. But um, 
I loved it. I didn't do as well as I wanted to uh, there. I was only there for a couple of years and, and, and um, had a few highlights, but, but didn't pitch as well as I wanted to, but I'll never regret playing in New York city. Um, it's just different. You know, it's just different to where the pinstripes it's, it's, uh, it's exciting. It, 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 you know, there's just something about it that uh, is special and, um, you know, good, bad, or indifferent to go there and play. You, you'll never, ever forget that. Yeah. And it's, it is a different place. I think you, you said it perfectly. I mean, especially old Yankee stadium. Uh, I had retired before a new Yankee stadium got built, but just walking into that old stadium, you know, you could, you could close your eyes and you knew you were somewhere special. It was just, yeah. you can't explain it unless you've gone through it and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, exactly. We got to talk about the no-no. 93, you pitch a no-hitter. Now, in 93, mm-hmm. I, I was playing for the Seattle Mariners. I was a part of a no-hitter that year. Chris Bazio pitched a no-hitter. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I remember, wow. being, I remember looking – Omar was my, my shortstop and it was about seventh, eighth inning. And it was kind of that look on each other's face, like, Hey, don't screw this up. And <laughs> tell me, tell me a little bit about it. Cause there's, there's this preconceived notion, not even a lot of big leaguers out there haven't been through a no hitter. And, you know, you hear all the cliches. You don't talk to the pitcher. You don't acknowledge that he has a no hitter. How was that day in, in New York when you pitched that no hitter? How did your teammates and just tell me the feeling uh, when it was finally over? Yeah, all those cliches. You know, it's it's funny they they do start to come into play. <laughs> but you know, it was funny that game came against the Cleveland Indians, and at the time, you remember they were a pretty good offensive team. They had Lofton and and Albert Bell and Manny Ramirez had just been called up to that team. Uh, gee, you know, they had Tommy and they were kind of a young and, and, and tough lineup. And, and five days before that, I had pitched against them in Cleveland and got smoked. You know, didn't even get out of the third inning. It was a tough outing. I'd had a kind of a rough season. Um, so, you know, the lead up to that game was not one of like feeling good about myself. <laughs> I was really, you know, sort of fighting it and looking for, you know, a new start, even though it was September, we were still in the pennant race and, you know, day game. I always loved day games. Uh, I really loved pitching day games and I loved pitching in Yankee stadium because of that long infield grass, even though the corners were a little short, you know, you could get some ground balls and I was a ground ball guy at that point. Um, and so, you know, we went to the ballpark and, you know, sat with the cat, my catcher, Matty Noakes, and we came up with a game plan and then, you know, the game kind of began and I was a little bit wild. I walked a couple guys and, uh, but slowly but surely as those outs started ticking away, you know, particularly the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, it's true, but right? your teammates stop talking to you. <laughs> they kind of move away. I mean, I was lighthearted that day. I was having some fun with, you know, Jimmy Key on the bench and Scott Kamenicki. But when that ninth inning came around, Booney, it was just like, you know how it is. You've been out there. You know the, your teammates are on their on their toes, and you see the you, know, you see the Indians digging in a little bit, and um, everybody feels it. Everybody, you know that those last three outs. Um, but you know, being on the Olympic team and having been out there in the ninth inning when we were going for a gold medal against Japan, it was the exact same feeling. 
you know, so I, I called upon that sort of subconsciously. I felt the same things, you know, like you're really hopeful for something good to happen, but you know that you have to kind of stick with the process. And uh, Kenny Lofton tried to bunt. He let off the inning and uh, bunted the ball down the third base line, and it went foul, and the fans were booing and going <laughs> going crazy. So that kind of lightened the mood a little bit. It was, you know, I saw him smirk a little bit and, uh, you know, got Bayerga to hit a ground ball to shore for that last out. And, uh, Velarde picked it up, threw it across the infield to Donnie Mattingly, our, you know, our captain and one of my favorite teammates ever. And uh, it was just unbelievable. It was just, you know, it, it's like time stands still. You can't believe that it's you. You can't believe that you're there. You know, Yankee Stadium, the pinstripes, and Donnie Mattingly coming over to, to hug you. You know, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so the rest of your big league career, you, you have some stops with the White Sox, uh, with the Brewers, back to Anaheim, and you retire after the 99 season. And I want to get into a, a little rapid fire with you. Toughest outs for Jim Abbott in the big leagues. Hitters. Well, a guy you know really well, Edgar Martinez, was just, uh, I think, the consummate professional hitter. <laughs> he was just, you know, the, the guys who gave me trouble were the guys who could, could do a lot of different things with the baseball, like Edgar. He could go, he could pull the ball down the line. He could go to right field just as easily. And, you know, when I think about he was really, really tough. George Brett, when I first got to the big leagues, gave me trouble, even though he lefty on lefty. Um, and then the entire Bash Brothers lineup, I hated facing the eight. <laughs> yeah, it was prominently right-handed. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, they were good. Best park to pitch in. Best park to pitch in. I loved Yankee Stadium. I really liked Yankee Stadium. I, I, I felt comfortable there. Um, I don't know if the stats would bear that out, but I, I liked those infields that had the long grass that can kind of eat up the ground ball. And I was a ground ball pitcher. And, um, you know, I love the pinstripes. I, I love Yankee Stadium. I'd say that was my favorite. Least favorite park to pitch in. Probably the Coliseum in Oakland, just because those teams were always so good. Uh, you know, you had Conseco and McGuire, and then Hendu, Dave Henderson came up behind him, and he, you know, we had three good lefties on the Angels. We had uh, uh, Finley, Chuck Finley, and, and myself, and Mark Langston at the time, you know, and, and it seemed like Langley and I struggled with Dave Henderson. You could make it through that gauntlet, and then all of a sudden, here comes Hendu, so uh, the Coliseum was, was always a tough one. And I'll be honest, the kingdom was no fun either. <laughs> I never oh, seemed to have, you know, I, that was a tough place to pitch. You know, the, the, the field was hard. The lineup was tough. The crowd was loud. Um, you know, kingdom was very uncomfortable as an opposing pitcher. Oh man. Kingdom was a great place to hit. It was like playing a video game. Everything just seems like it was just balls ricocheting all over the place. I only got to play there for my first, for my first uh, couple seasons. And then, and then I went elsewhere, but yeah, I remember the kingdom. It's not a good place to pitch. Um, managers and coaches that had uh, an impact on your career. Uh, the number one influence on my career was a name a family name i think a lot of baseball people are familiar with latchman 
Uh, Marcel yeah. was, was our pitching coach with the angels. Um, and he was, he, he's a USC guy, a Trojan, um, uh, from way back. And, and we always kind of got into it about the Wolverines and Trojans, but he was just, you know, the great thing about coaches that you, I think we all appreciate is, you know, the feeling that they're in your corner and, uh, Marcel's loyalty was second to none. You know, I went through some, as you mentioned, and you kindly, uh, went through my career. I, you know, at the end of my career, I went through some difficult times. I, you know, I lost 18 games one year for the angels. Latch was the manager on that team and he ultimately ended up getting fired and, um, you know, but that never showed through in how he felt about you as a person. You know, he was just a phenomenally loyal and, and special guy. And um, he's the number one coach I think of when I think back to my my big league time. Were you ever a hitter? Now, I've seen, I've seen your golf swing, and it amazes me. <laughs> you play that little soft draw. Were you ever, were you ever a hitter? It's become a little bigger draw these days. I don't even call it that anymore. That's uh, <laughs> a little bit of a hook. But, um, I, you know, I fancied myself a good hitter in high school. I had a pretty good average. I hit some bombs. Uh, and I tried to talk my college coach a million times into letting me hit, but I never really got the chance. But I did play in the in – the, in the, uh, I played for the Brewers. Um, and so I hit a few times. I got two hits in the big leagues. Um and you know, off the off the same guy, Booney. <laughs> of John Who was Lieber. it? Who was it? I had it was John Lieber with the Cubs. Oh, I got okay. one in County Stadium, and then one in a day game. I was pitching in Wrigley Field, and uh, you know, we don't need to go into average or any of that. All I have to say is I got two base hits, a couple RBIs, and uh, it's fun hitting. You know, as a pitcher, you're always on the. You never feel like you're fully involved, and it's fun to get out there and hit and play in the National League. All right, so now, Abby, these days you, you've done a lot of motivational speaking. Um, I think baseball's provided all of us, you know, to, to each of us is different on how we use it, but baseball has provided all of us a, a platform that's um, pretty unique. Uh, and you've used it, you've inspired so many people you've you've you know at this at this point like you said you go all over the world you've been all over the world uh talking to kids and and touch just thousands and thousands of lives uh speak a little bit to to what you've been doing ever since you've been retiring and and how fulfilling that is yeah you know we talked a little bit about growing up and um Honestly, I, you know, I, I, I used baseball. I grew up missing my right hand. Uh, I used sports and I used baseball and I used that success and that, those accolades, you know, to feel good about myself. And, and, and you know, I, I didn't fully comprehend that when I was playing. You know, it wasn't something I truly understood until uh, I got to the big leagues and, uh, you know, we started traveling around to these different ballparks everywhere we went, Baltimore and Texas and Boston, didn't matter. Um, you know, and families started to come. You know, they started to come to the stadiums. Uh, moms and dads bring in little boys and uh, little girls um, with the similar challenges as mine and some a lot worse. Um, <clears throat> and I didn't know it, but I need to be honest, I, I didn't know there were that many kids like me out there. 
Um, you know, because you know you just didn't hear those stories as much as you do now, and and so that is kind of translated into my post baseball life. You know, I I um I mean I just had two letters today that came in from from different families and different accidents and things that happened and people trying to rehab and figure out a different way of doing things and and so that's kind of become my post baseball uh, purpose. You know, I, I try not to do it in a in a loud way, I, I try to, you know, I sit at my desk, I've got some, you know, pictures and envelopes and I, you know, and I send a lot of letters and things. But anyway, so that's been, you know, that's been a really cool thing to focus on. And then, you know, the speaking came along and I was able to travel around and share the story a little bit with people. And, and um, so I've been very lucky, as you know, we have a lot of friends. That's not an easy transition to make post-baseball, um, you know, no matter how well you do financially or how much success or whatever happens in your in your big league career you know you get spit out at a fairly young age and and you got to figure something out and you got to be able to do something and i was very lucky to have sort of a a, of a built-in um mission so to speak that that was right there in front of me so you know i've been able to build on that and i miss the game a little bit you know i miss being involved I, i think if i was single i probably would have been a coach or something but um, I, I'm so thankful for the role that I've been able to play and hopefully, you know, when we get through this pandemic, you know, be able to get back out there and be in person with people again and, and get back to the life that I really came to love post baseball. All right. Well, Abby, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think the people out there really love your story. And I just want to say, I, I truly appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing it with the Boone podcast. What we do at the end of each and every podcast is we bring the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy, back to ask one fan question. Dan, come on in. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Brett. Jim, it's a pleasure. All right, Jim. Let's do it, Dan. All right, Jim, this question comes from Abe in Chicago, and they want to know this. You spent some time in New York. You spent some time in Chicago. Who has the better pizza? <laughs> uh, you know, sorry, Abe. New York's got better pizza than Chicago. I like Chicago's pizza. I like, you know, I like the big deep dish. Uh, but nobody touches New York for pizza. Um, I don't know. There's something about the crust. There's something about uh, the competition there. And, and um uh, Chicago's got a lot of great places, but New York, hands down, has the best pizza, I think, in the big leagues. Chicago remains a second city. All right, Jim. Well, thank you so much for coming <laughs> on the podcast. We appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. Take care. Mailbag. All right, Booner, you know what that sound is? That means it is time for the Brett Boone Mailbag. You ready to rock? Ready to roll. All right, let's go on in. All right, Brett, this one is from Joe in San Jose. Brett, do you have anything inside the Baseball Hall of Fame? Inside the Baseball Hall of Fame? I think, uh, I don't know. I think we've got, I've got something in there uh, family-wise. I, I, I forget the article. I've got something the year I, I led the league in RBIs, they asked for something from the hall of fame. And then, uh, you know, I, I think when we had Cameron on the podcast, uh, a month, a month or so ago, we were in a game where we hit back to back homers 
twice in the first inning in Chicago. He went on to hit four, and the Hall of Fame called because I was a part of that game. So I think we both sent in uh, the bats that we used for that game. So I, I've got a few little trinkets here and there. Uh, I, I've been in the Hall of Fame, and I've been down in that uh, in the archives, the rooms where you got to put gloves on and stuff. And I've seen a few of my items. You know, I saw Gramps' glove down there, and it's more interesting not not my stuff, but but seeing family members' stuff down there. Uh, and uh, I remember, I just don't remember the exact items. All right, let's go back into the old mailbag, shall we? Brett, this one came from Lisa in St. Paul. When you play every day next to a Hall of Famer like Junior Larkin, did you know at the time that they were really going to be Hall of Famers? Uh, Kenny, without a doubt. I mean, he was just on a different level than everybody else. And other than that, you know, I probably played with two guys that I knew from the get-go for sure. And, And that could be you know, because of the time I played with them and, and they'd accrued the numbers already. But the two for sure guys I played with that I knew 100% were going to the Hall of Fame was uh, Tony Gwynn and uh, Griffey Jr. Th- those were just obvious, no doubt about it, guys. Uh, and then, you know, the other guys that, that I got to play with that eventually uh, went to the Hall of Fame, um, I, I was never a hundred percent, but, but as their careers went on, it's the writing kind of was on the wall, uh, you know, like a Randy Johnson type. I played with him as a young player. So of course you have way, no way to know back then. Um, you know, Trevor Hoffman at the time, he, he was the top saved saves guy in the national league, but you didn't know he was going to go on to, to, to be set records. So, uh, yeah, just the two for sure were, were junior and Tony Gwynn. All right. And our last question. This one is from Adam in Atlanta. Brett, have you ever met Hank Aaron? I got the chance to to meet Hank uh, on several occasions. I played for the Braves in 99. He had an office in uh, in the stadium. So once in a while, he'd, he'd uh, you know, he'd come out and make an appearance. So, yeah, I got to meet Hank on on uh, several occasions. Best story? Any any good stories from him? I, I don't really have a Hank story for you. I really don't. You know, just the, kind of what I've read and what everybody else has read. Uh, my my interactions with him were a handshake and, and talk about, you know, the team and how we were doing that particular week. Uh, nothing. We didn't get into any, you know, anything into detail. I just know, you know, Hank Aaron to me, he, he's known as this. You know, you, you think of Hank Aaron, you think of the home run, but uh, he was just so much more than that. What he went through while chasing that record, but just his body of work uh, makes my head spin. If if you just Google Hank Aaron and look at his stats, you know, being a being myself who who played in the big leagues for a long time, to see the numbers that he put up is is ridiculous. I mean, twenty three hundred RBIs, twenty two hundred runs scored, thirty seven hundred hits. Uh, let alone the the ridiculous, obnoxious home run number that he had. He was a base dealer early in his career, uh, 300 career over, I don't know, what is it, 25 years. Uh, the guy was unbelievable. I, I, I'm making my wall or, or my Mount Rushmore, and I've only got three guys so far, but it's uh, Bonds, Ruth, and, and Aaron, top three of all time. 
Wow. Aaron's just, he's such an unbelievable baseball player. He's so much more than, uh, than a home, than the home run, you know, than, than he was known as the home run King. He was so much more than that. What a, what a great player. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the Brett Boone mailbag as well as the Brett Boone podcast. And again, if you want to go ahead and send a question through, feel free to uh, pitch one to him at, at the Boone 29 on Twitter. He's also on Facebook and Instagram. We want to thank everybody for listening in. We want to thank Jim Abbott for joining us. For Brett Boone, my name is Dan Levy. This has been the Brett Boone podcast, and we'll do it all again soon. Take care, everybody. Good night.